Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 47 of The Yacking Show. And this is where we talk about life, business and more, and we bring you tips and ideas for the changing world we're living in. And it's certainly changing quickly at the moment. As always, we have interesting guests. Today is a very special guest who I've known for some years virtually on the internet. But it's my job first to welcome my co-host, Kathleen, and uh, she will introduce our guest. So good morning, Kathleen. We're earlier today because of time differences. So how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Peter, and thank you so much to everyone, all of you. Thank you for tuning in. We so appreciate you, and we love reading your comments, so please keep them coming. And if any of you out there is interested in becoming a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter said, we do have another special guest this morning, actually afternoon for her, because she is uh, coming to us from Ireland, the country that has stolen my heart. Please welcome Anne Shebani. Anne, welcome to the show. And I'm gonna turn it over to you in a moment, but Anne is this fabulous lady that helps people publish or helps people develop publishable content. And we'll get to that in a moment. Anne, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your platform with me. I'm so excited to be with you guys. Oh, we, we are absolutely honored. So Anne, tell us a bit about your background and, and how everything came to pass, how you became, you've developed this amazing career. So please tell us more about yourself. So maybe I'll enter in with how I met Peter. So Peter had reached out to me. He was a referral from somebody that we both knew who traveled in the entrepreneurial world. And this person had told Peter, she'd listened to Peter speak and said, Peter, you've got amazing stories. You've got to write a book. And if you're writing a book, you've got to talk to Anna Shebani. And by the time Peter showed up at my doorstep, Peter had already written this book and he did what everybody told him he should do. He put all of his stories in this book and it was like, you know, like probably 800, 900 pages long, which is what happens when you've led a really fascinating life. You want to include it all. And so I had gone through Peter's, um, Peter's manuscript and first and foremost, I thought this is a fascinating guy. This is a guy who has lived life uh, large. And so we got to talking and both of us have lived across the world. We are, you know, kind of globetrotters and expats and we, we hit it off because um, we both lived in very, very odd places and it would be very easy to misconstrue the kind of people we actually are by some of our opinions, by some of our experiences. And so, you know, Peter could come across as kind of an old fashioned, you know, former African colonialist, but this is one of the most fascinating, um, stubborn, tenacious fellows that I know. And that's something that, um, that inspires me. That's something that I relate to because I think that the world requires a lot of tenacity. It requires a lot of um, resilience and not everybody is going to like 
the end product that comes off of some of those challenges, that comes off of some of those experiences. It's very easy to judge um, where somebody is coming from had you not been in those particular circumstances. So I think I, I really responded well to Peter and we hit it off and we kept uh, a correspondence back and forth because one of the things that we have in common is to put yourself out there, to claim who you are, to be who you are, and not necessarily to rub people's nose in, in it, but to not apologize for the kind of person that you are. So I don't know if that answers your question or if you'd like me to expand, but that's kind of how I would start. That, that's great, and thank you for your kind words. So, I, you know, I managed to fool a lot of people, and uh, you saw through me straight away. But it, it worked because uh, I saw through you too. So we, we started getting on well. And again, I must publicly thank you for all the help and assistance you gave me back uh, a couple of years ago when I wrote that book. So we're going to get on with, with some more. We want to find out more about you. But for our audience, I've got a little bit of a fun thing to, to interject into our show today, which I can't do with anyone else. Anne has given me more money in an envelope than any other woman or person has ever given me in my life. And we'll put it into context in a moment, but I don't know if, if we can see that this note is a $100 billion. And Anne gave me one of those and some smaller ones in an envelope a couple of years ago. I've got to quickly put it into context in case anyone thinks that we're hiding money or putting it in Panama or um, laundering or anything horrible like that. These are Zimbabwe dollars, which at the time were worth a few cents, US or Canadian. But we always have a laugh about it. So, Anne, back to you. Go, quick one. Tell our audience how that came about. So, oh, so my, um, my husband used to be a criminal defense attorney, and he was um, he was representing a money launderer. And the money launderer had about 27 different global currencies. And then he went, uh, I think he disappeared upriver for about <laughs> 20, 30 years. And we ended up with all of these currencies in our safe and the fellow had no, uh, you know, nobody who owned, you know, his, his estate or his assets. So I... I discovered that when you go to the airport and you try to sell a currency, they don't want Zimbabwean dollars anymore. <laughs> so I thought, what am I going to do with this? I know Peter would get a laugh out of this. So off it went into the mail to you. <laughs> I, I, I still laugh about that. And people here in Canada are, are amazed when I show them these sort of, and I have others when these denominations, they can't get their head around that. As you said, we've lived in odd places between us. I'm going to hand it back to Kathleen. And, uh, she's got a couple of things she wants to ask you. You go for it, Kathleen. Uh, and tell us more about living in Iran as a non-Iranian. Yes. So, um, I don't know, most young girls think that they're going to marry their high school boyfriend or the, or the guy next door, but I wanted no part of the guy next door. I decided that I wanted to marry my teaching assistant who was um, a pro-Khomeini fundamentalist Muslim, which it, this has nothing to do with Islam, but it was very much to do with a bent that I didn't happen to possess. And he was a grad student. And I decided that this was going to be the guy that I wanted to marry. He was going to take me somewhere exotic. He was going to provide me a life 
he was essentially going to hand to me something that I didn't have to figure out on my own, which was not the life in, in Vernon, Connecticut, USA. And so really smart guy, really um, passionate, somebody who had really strong values, really strong ideals. And I didn't own any of those things. So I thought, cool, somebody with strong ideals, someone with strong values. And when we got together, he was, um, he was really honest. He said, look, I, I, I'm actually ethnic Arab. I was raised in a village. I always grew up believing that I was gonna marry my cousin. I don't think it would work out between the two of us because you're very American, you're very young, you just don't get it. And I thought, oh, you know what? Love will conquer all. And the, but the challenge of um, turning somebody who was so certain of what it was he, he wanted was very compelling to me. You know, it's, it's a, really the wrong thing for a young girl to do to somebody, but that, that challenge was there. And so, you know, he, he, we eventually got married and he had always wanted to go back when he got his PhD to teach at the university. He'd got, gotten his bachelor's degree. He wanted to go back to his country. He wanted to, you know, become the new intelligentsia. He wanted to really help his country after years and years of, you know, foreign intervention and the Shah and whatnot. And so, I decided I was going to move with him. I had, we had a baby at the time, a little two month old baby. And I moved there and he's, he was, and I, I speak in the past tense because he passed away probably nearly 20 years ago. He was somebody who was super smart, super generous. And he also had um, a lot of guilt for having sat out the Iran Iraq war while his family had suffered. So when we got there, it was kind of like the cousin or the uncle who made good in the United States and had come back. And he really wanted to help his family. And helping a fam the family meant supporting them, having them come and live with us for periods of time. So for somebody who was raised in, in a, a suburban household with you know, two kids and a dog, suddenly having a lot of folks around. So, you know, nothing wrong with them. They were really legitimately kind, nice people, but I don't live very well with 30 people at a time in a small place. <laughs> so that's, you know, it's when I faced into the fact that I was living in a very different culture and they were perceiving me as an American and probably you know, definitely not a virgin from the village, which created a lot of issues for my husband because he always had to defend who I was. And he was always like, be very careful. Don't mis let them misconstrue your behaviors. You know, you got to act a certain way. And so the barriers uh, between us as a couple were really, really pretty insurmountable because... I couldn't close the door and have my home be my little oasis mm -hmm. and, you know, go out into the streets and, you know, navigate the streets. I would come back and I would still have to navigate waters that were really foreign to me. Mm -hmm. So wow. we had another, yeah, we had another kid and I lasted five years before 
I ended up coming back to the States for vacation and just never going home. Never going. Yeah, it must have been difficult. Yes, I can only imagine um, what that must have been like. I, you know, I can't even, I can't even imagine it. But then off to Ireland, what, what made you move to Ireland? So I think when I got back from Iran, so I was, you know, in my early 30s when I came back to the United States and I had made the decision, like I, I got all that exotic stuff out of my system. You know, I didn't need to move to Russia and I didn't go, need to go to Africa. And like, I was really happy to be back in the United States. So I was single for about a dozen years. And then I met my husband now, the, the criminal defense attorney with the, uh, with the clients that go to Sing Sing. <laughs> and I think he's not, he's no longer a criminal attorney, so I don't have to you know, worry about people thinking he's not a very good attorney. But um, we, we, we met and we decided to get married. And because we both had households and had kids, we had friends who didn't know what to give us for our wedding. Oh, and yes. one couple who'd been friends with my husband for years said, look, we've got this holiday home in Ireland. And we think it would be this great place to go on a honeymoon you know, for would you, would you use the house as a, as a gift, a wedding gift? And we didn't, you know, have anything planned. So we're like, yeah, we'll go to Ireland. My, my husband's mom was, is ethnic Irish. So that was kind of a connector, but neither one of us were like, I'm Irish. I have to go back to the old home side. And when we got here, the place, our friend's place was out in the middle of cow country. It was right on the Atlantic. And it was quiet, and the grass was eight inches thick, and the, we could hear the bees and the and the birds, and just it was for an introvert, which is what both my husband and I are. It was like heaven, and it was this time, you know, twelve years ago, this time of year, and the, there was no rain, and I thought to my husband, "This is so strange. Everybody says it." <laughs> Ireland is raining. It's like lovely. What's up? What are people talking about? So we did you wait this minute? <laughs> we waited a few minutes, but we felt this this kind of a pull. And I'm I don't consider myself a particularly sensitive person. I like to travel, but it's like, hey, let me see what's over there and over there. But we we when we left, we're really sad. And the following year, our friend said, hey, it's your anniversary. You want to use our house? Really good friends, by the way. I, yeah. I can't give you their name. Because everybody will want to contact them. And we kept going back again and again and again. And finally, we started looking around at houses. And 2008, the American uh, economy collapsed, obviously. Mm -hmm. It took about two years for that to show up in Ireland. So in 2010, we started looking around at houses and we'd seen the pricing, housing um, prices collapse. So we suddenly saw really great houses for, for next to nothing. And we, we decided that we were going to buy a holiday place. And in short order, we realized that with an internet connection, we could actually stay here. 
And the thought was, do I want to live in a foreign country? I've already done that before. Ireland people speak English, presumably, depending on who you're speaking to. And what, you know, what kind of accent someone has. And it didn't feel as foreign. It didn't feel like when you're out on the street, everybody could see you, everyone, you can spot every, the, the big differences. It felt like home. And so it was an easy decision, lots of steps, obviously, um, in order to do that. But really great decision, really fabulous place for the nervous system and lifestyle. Really amazing. Um, thank you for that. It just almost made me well up because I, I miss it so much. Haven't been able to go this year, of course, but. Um, oh. I, I completely agree with everything that you're saying about this amazing place. Take it away, Peter. I know you have other questions. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask, Anne, when you got back from Iran, is that when you started your writing career? You went to university then and did your <laughs> writing studies, did you? It took, me a, it took me a while. Like when I first got back from Iran, I had to figure out, maybe I was 32, I had two little kids. I, I actually had to figure out the kind of stuff that most people figure out when they graduate college. And that is, what am I going to do with my life? That, that was the part I was trying to skip by getting married in the first place and moving somewhere foreign. So I, you know, I think my first job out of the shoot was selling copiers, which, you know, I equate to soliciting. But actually <laughs> Soliciting, in my mind, had a lot more dignity because, you, you know, you knew what the deal was up front. <laughs> but, you know, for me, I spent a lot, of, a number of years just kind of getting um, stable, financially stable. And my ex-husband, he, you know, followed me to the United States and we lasted maybe two years before um, we ended up calling it quits. He'd gotten ill. Um, with uh, colon cancer and about two and a half years he lasted two and a half years after he died I I realized that there was a lot of stuff that I really wanted to write through and I'd gone out on a blind date with somebody and he and I was I think at the time selling industrial chemicals I moved on to industrial chemicals and he said if you're not that interested in selling what do you want to do? And I'm like, ah, I've always wanted to write, but you know, what's stopping you from writing? Well, I had money. I had, I had, I wasn't married. I had, you know, kids that could be looked after and I'm like, nothing's stopping me. So I decided, you know, he gave me, he gave me a catalog from Harvard. And it was a, um, extension school to Harvard. He said, you can take the same classes that everybody else in Harvard takes. You have the same access to professors and degree programs within Harvard by going through the extension school. So why don't you take a look? And this guy, you know, he, he was really um, instrumental in getting me thinking about what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I, I went, I drove maybe two hours. Cambridge, uh, Mass was two hours from where I lived. And I took my first writing course and it, it instantly hit. You know, all those stories that I had wanted to tell about Iran and the experiences I had there started coming out in, 
in these classes. So two, two, three years later, I had a master's and that's writing became not just what I did, but who I was. Wow. Well done. Very good. <coughs> Kathleen, back to you. Yes. Um, and tell us about, tell us about the new course that you have upcoming. So it's not actually new. It comes out, I bring it out uh, about once a year. I launch it once a year. It's called the Influential Author Formula. And it's specifically designed for business people or speakers or coaches who want to write a book for their business to attract clients, to attract uh, speaking engagements. For very much this, one of the reasons uh, um, Peter wanted to write a book. It's something that you would sell in the back of the room, a way to share your story with your audience and your messaging with your audience. Um, I started teaching this course when my husband was a Tony Robbins coach. And he and all the other Tony Robbins coaches would say, look, everybody's bucket item list is to write a book. You know, you run a writing workshop, you're, you're a writer. Could you teach us how to write books? And what started out as, yeah, I can teach you how to write any kind of book became, oh, you want to write a book to attract clients. You want to write a book to share your story so your clients know why it is that you relate to them, why it is that you've chosen to, to speak or help people in this particular area. So over the years, it's become more and more refined. It's yes, how to write a book, but how to write a book with a very particular outcome in mind, which is having, um, drawing your, the right kind of clients to you, giving a very specific message and making sure that you, you provide people a very specific outcome by reading your book, you know, making your stories not only fascinating, but relevant mm -hmm. to your audience. So it became this thing. Wow, well done. But you, you also help uh, fiction writers too, if I remember rightly, Anne. I mean, I've... I do, do help fiction writers. I started out, um, some partners and I had, had, had created a writing workshop, a local writing workshop, um, probably 10 years ago. And the people that we were drawing into our six-week workshops were primarily people working on novels or memoir or short stories. And, you know, we were great at teaching novel and memoir. I mean, that's my first love. I love narrative. I love story. I love, you know, great, you know, great lessons wrapped in characters and plot and whatnot. So um, most of the time, the novels that I help people with now at this stage of the game are business parables. Right. So they're novels, but they're designed to show some business lesson. Okay. You know, like, um, yeah, yeah, I could go on. Yes. No, 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 that, that's, that's fine. I'm going to throw one in. There's a little bit of an edgy question, but I know it won't upset you. And what I get from your newsletters and uh, seeing you on video, you, and I put in my notes here, you're delightfully plain spoken and direct. Does this offend your clients or people you do business with, or do they all feel um, inspired by you like like most of us do well no just you because you're my people first and foremost um, there are there are people who are very put off by me 
But here's a lesson I learned very early on in life. You know, I, I ended up going to Iran and completely morphing my personality, completely having a personality created for me. And, you know, I didn't have opinions. I didn't have real thoughts of my own. I was very much an extension of my relationships. And I learned that you can put a mushroom in front of somebody and some people are gonna love a mushroom and other people are gonna be like, can you believe that mushroom? Who does that mushroom think? Who does that mushroom think she is? <laughs> like you can present, you can put the same thing in front of a good group of people and they either love you or hate you and it has very little to do with anything other than those are people who don't like mushrooms and these are people who do. So, I became probably a little bit more strident and zealous than was necessary, but it's what happens, I think, in those pendulum swings in your life when you don't know who you are and then you define who it is you are. Damn it, I am this, and this is who I am, and you take me or leave me. But, you know, the need to define who it is I really believe myself to be and that's just, you know, that's a game too, that constantly changes. Who I think I am, who, what I, what I value, what I think is important, what I think my personality is. You know, it was really important for me, even 10 years ago to establish who that was, because it was so easy to get lost and so easy for me to, you know, morph into whoever I thought somebody yeah. wanted me to be. So, um, there are people that I put off. There are people who, who don't think I'm funny. There are people who are like, you know, I, I use swear words. It's just part of how I talk. They find that really unprofessional and very, and, you know, people will send me things about the way I dress, like how, like, what are you wearing? You shouldn't wear that. You know, how are you talking? Or like, how dare, you know, people will say, how dare you? Really? How dare you? Yes. How dare you? And it's not to say that that doesn't bother me. Like when I get those emails or I get those comments, like all you need to do is put up a Facebook ad. You want to bring people out into the oh, world yeah. to make you feel like garbage. You just put up a Facebook ad. That's right. And we're going to, we must move on. We're going to be running out of time just now. Uh, we have a few minutes left there. So I think this is a good time to, for you to tell our audience about your webinar next week and then please go straight into telling our audience how they can contact you if they would like to talk to you about books uh, your webinars your and you and your husband do a number of other webinars and services so start with that sure so to to begin with where do we lead in you brought so many of those things um well start start with the webinar next week because that's an immediate oh, benefit for people yes so one of the objections that I hear over and over again when I have conversations with people who claim up and down, you know, up and down that they want to write a book is they can't imagine how they're going to find the time, right? So when you put on a webinar, the idea is how do you, you know, how do you beat the objection into oblivion? Well, if the objection is I don't have time, guess what? I'm going to show you precisely how really busy people and I'm talking about entrepreneurs who are running big businesses, coaches that have a big client, uh, client roster, 
or speakers who've got nonstop back-to-back gigs, how people like this actually fit the time into their day to write the book that they know is going to change the course of their business that's going to open up space for them. But, you know, how do you do it when you're crazy busy? So we put together a webinar called How to Finally Find the Time to Write That Book. And the beautiful thing about my husband, besides being a former criminal defense attorney, is now on the stages um, and leading workshops and webinars on time management. He is annoyingly good at managing time and teaching people how to manage time. He's always trying to manage me like, what are you doing with your time there? Should you be scrolling? Don't you have something to do? So I'm bringing him in front of my crew and having him teach folks how to find the time. And then I'm going to drop a few handy dandy tips about how to write a book in less time that doesn't require the amount of time that it took you, for instance, mm-hmm. to write the kind of book that you wrote. So Good. there are ways to write great books. So how do, if people want to get on that webinar, and it's free, I must stress it's free. I think it's free. I hope I'm not giving stuff away here. I'm sure I read free in your email. Um, how, do they, how do they contact you? They go to your website? So they can go to my website. And um, yeah, at, that's www.anshebonnie.com. And I'm also happy to send you a link that you can include in your show notes Yep. where they can just link and they can um, head over to and register for that. But Great. yes, they probably that link will lead them there faster. Excellent. And I think while you're mentioning your website, I, I've got to say from my side, if you want to read some fascinating stories about Anne's life in Iran, and we haven't had time to ask you about climbing mountains and running. She talks about that. She talks about the nice cows around the corner from where she lives in Ireland and the country lands. Fascinating stuff. Just hop onto her website and you'll be entertained for days at a time. Kathleen, back to you. All right, Peter, I think we're out of time, but uh, I just want to thank Anne. Thank you so much for joining us today. What an honor it's been to have you on our, on our show, and we'd love to have you back at some point. Um, thank all of you for joining us, as always. And again, please keep your comments coming. We so love to, to read them. And if anybody out there is interested in becoming a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to Peter or myself. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.